0: Welcome to our continuing 2018 educational webinar series. I am Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Specialist for FIRST Healthcare Compliance. At FIRST Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have William Simpson, Chief Operating Officer of Identilect Technologies, a publicly traded digital security company based in Orange County, California. Will has over 10 years of experience in the digital security space, His focus has been around email security and its utilization in heavily regulated industries. As part of the innovative team comprising the IdentElect Technologies staff since its inception in 2011, William has a strong background in the particular space where security, technology, and business operational processes meet. Too often, there is a gap in communication and true cohesiveness between the IT side of businesses and the operational or compliance aspects inherent to today's digital world. Will has hosted and continues to host numerous cybersecurity and compliance webinars for professionals in the medical, financial, and legal industries. His blended background of expertise allows him to take the complex topics of compliance and technology and percolate them down into easily understood, actionable information to ensure practices are able to stay informed, technologically current, and operating within their individual regulatory requirements. A copy of the slide deck is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your Paycom CEU certificate will be emailed to you from Paycom following the broadcast. There is no need to request it. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. Will, go ahead.
1: Catherine, thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. Hello everyone, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, What we have today is part one of a part two series on uh, cybersecurity for healthcare organizations. And what we're gonna touch on today is a a little mixed bag of uh, items here. We're gonna start with some cybersecurity situational awareness for your practice. We're going to look at password utilization and how to ensure we're making that uh, uh, compliant and effective in our utilization. We're gonna then go into two-factor authentication and what that can do for your practice and how to implement. We'll take a look at antivirus and anti-malware options and logic to be aware of. Then we're gonna move into hard drive encryption and Wi-Fi security. Now don't worry, we won't go too far down the technical side. I will go ahead and touch on some rather tacky items, but there's just meant to be digestible pieces for us to be able to either research further or at least pass on to IT. We'll then take a look at uh, social engineering and ransomware and how that's been plaguing the he- uh, health space. And then we'll take a look at email spoofing and cybersecurity plans and incident response. So to start off with, I'd like to get a little bit of uh, cybersecurity situational awareness to make sure that everyone's on the same page. Now, the healthcare industry historically and currently has been very targeted by cyber criminals. And the, the reason for that is, is is multiple aspects, the healthcare industry data has a real complete dossier on the people that they service, and that data is very easily monetized, whether that's through identity theft, opening different lines of credits, even committing insurance fraud, and then of course ransomware, which is a big topic we'll talk on today. Now, healthcare organisations historically have a lot of different aspects they have to adhere to. It's the patient care, the administrative side, the compliance aspect. So, oftentimes, the cybersecurity aspect of people's practices sometimes takes a back burner because it's maybe not as uh, upfront and attractive as maybe some of the other pressing issues. Now. The healthcare industry uh, typically collects a vast amount of information, and the reason why it's so attractive is because it has the information on pretty much everyone that lives in, in, in an area. If you take a look at other industries, like maybe investment firms, while there is very lucrative data in those types of industries, then uh, not everyone has an investment adv- advisor, but I bet you everyone's a bit of the doctor. So that's why they're being targeted so much. And a lot of the uh, healthcare systems communicate to a lot of other systems. Meaning, if you're a, a practicing physician, that's where you have a d- dental practice, you will probably have maybe an external IT, maybe you'll have a, a, a billing service in house or out of house, and then you'll also be talking to different referring physicians, radiology, insurance. There's a lot of moving pieces, and this data is very valuable, so there's a lot of vulnerability points. Now, it's an important statistics on the right-hand side here. Now, uh, a 2017 report from Identity Theft Resource Center stated that 25% of all data breaches are related to healthcare. It's an astronomical amount. And to give you an idea, um, worldwide, the U.S., I believe, accounts for 70 to 80% of all data breaches which are occurring. So this is a major uh, issue, not just for the U.S., but for the medical industry specifically. And those losses cost the industry about $5.6 billion per year. So we can see this is something that needs to be addressed. Now, it's important to understand what types of threats are out there. There there are a variety of technological ways to go ahead and commit cyber theft. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, human error is the leading cause of most issues. Now, a lot of people are under the impression that uh, very sophisticated technological hackers are going after specific entities. Now, that may be true for larger entities, for instance, Anthem, uh, for instance, Yahoo!, if you have a big brand name you 'll probably be attractive to some specific threats, but a lot of times the uh, the attacks which are most successful are not leveraging the latest and greatest technology, but they 're leveraging the way humans work socially and we 'll get further into that later in the presentation but it 's an amazing amount of the the breaches which are occurring that are happening from something that it, you know no anyone can facilitate. So when it comes to uh, different cyber attacks, there's there's more cost involved than a lot of people anticipate. And this chart on the left-hand side here gives a little breakdown of how that usually plays out. The factors involved are obviously regulatory fines. HIPAA fines are some of the most uh, uh, steep fines available, obviously with a sliding scale, depending on uh, what's occurred. But you also have to think about, what about your system downtime? If you no longer have access to your patient records, how is your staff going to facilitate their job? If uh, the computer systems are locked up, how are you going to organize different uh, um, Operations with your vendors, things of that nature. Then taking a look at theft of information assets, whether that's hardware or ransomware locking up your files. It's very expensive to replace and reset. Then obviously lawsuits, civil civil cases which arise from these occurrences, and then loss of future business due to reputation damage. So while we want to make sure we're avoiding all of this, it's important to note that there's not not one singular aspect in the event of cybersecurity here. It's a a multi-layered approach, as with any security topic. Now, I wanted to provide some examples of, of how quickly this can stack up. There was uh, April 2017 last year, Erie County Medical Center was the victim of a ransomware attack. And uh, not only did it take them three months to recover from that, but the estimated cost was roughly $10 million. Just an astronomical amount, that's including the ransom paid and all the downtime associated. There was a shipping company that had uh, one last year as well, cost them about $300 million, And that was from a computer virus that took out their systems. And pharmaceutical company Merck had uh, two occurrences, unfortunately, in Q3 and Q4. Uh, The computer virus uh, attack was successful. Two separate attacks uh, for a total of them both for 600 million. So this is not this is not a small inconvenience by any measure. Now it's important to note those were the the cumulative costs. But let's take a look at the HIPAA compliance cost. So um, the University of Washington had a a malware issue, um, and they ended up. having 90,000 patients exposed due to the malware which uh, infected one of their systems. They ended up getting fined $750,000 just due to that exposing of data, let alone all the other infrastructural costs. Then take a look at another one, the Metro Community Provider Network. They were fined $400,000 for HIPAA violations after one of the um, employees was a victim of a phishing hack. Um, And we'll get into phishing later on. This is a a major component of this presentation. But it's an example of how steep those fines can be. It's not necessarily the the interaction and the ransomware, but it's, it's the entities behind it that care what happens. So, let's start off with passwords. Passwords is the basic security that everyone has on their system, you know, whether it's booting up your computer or accessing any of your electronic record management systems. But unfortunately, uh, people have pretty typically bad password hygiene, you know, 30% of people are using birthdays, addresses, pet names, things like that as their passwords. And the majority of people duplicate their use of passwords across platforms, which is really a bad idea, just to put it lightly. For instance, if uh, if I'm able to get your Facebook password, uh, it's ABC 123, let's just say, I'm going to go ahead and see what other email addresses are out there tied to a different account, maybe your Wells Fargo account, maybe your home loan. If your your email address is used for these different accounts, I'm going to try that same password and I'll be able to walk into a lot of those same systems. A lot of people are also not changing their passwords. Uh, 50% of people haven't changed them in five years. It's uh, not great password hygiene. Um, so some examples of uh, poor passwords are very simple ones to crack. Uh, logical, you know, 12345 or QWERTY these are very common. You'd be amazed how many people are leveraging these passwords. And the thing is, that's what cyber are going to try. They're going to try the top 20 most used passwords and then get to more crafty methods. So let's not make it easy for them. So, some examples of good passwords are ones that are eight or ten or more digits, and they use a mix of capitalization symbols, letters, numbers. Some examples are listed there. While they may look u- ugly and may be slightly difficult to remember, they're very effective, okay? Um, So, some actionable items to pass along for your team, make sure that they know not to use personal information like family member names, passwords, phone numbers um, for, for their passwords, and make sure they're choosing long, complex passwords, as we mentioned, that are a mix of numbers, letters, symbols, and keep in mind capitalization, the use of capitalization in lowercase is a great way to trip up a lot of password generators. And as we mentioned, do not use the same password for multiple systems. I know it seems like a lot easier way to do it, but what I would advise in lieu of that is maybe looking into some single sign-on solutions. And we'll touch on that a bit later, but single sign-on solutions are a way to have one password that stores passwords to multiple systems, but there's a lot of security checks and balances and automation you can do with single sign-on. Make sure your staff knows to change their password at least quarterly. Now we can go ahead and advise that people do this, but the uh, most advised way to enforce this is in your systems, your electronic me- uh, record management systems, or your, your admin uh, setup on your computer. There are ways to set requirements where the system will automatically, after uh, a quarter of the year has gone by, it'll ping them and say, hey, it's time to change your password. And it won't let them use their old password. It's, People are inherently resistant to change, especially when they've got a million things going on in their day, and then suddenly they have to remember a new password. While it may seem inconvenient, I promise you it's far less inconvenient than ransomware locking up your computer, okay? And uh, it it is advisable to use multi-factor authentication wherever possible, as it uh, really adds exponentially more security to an account. So let's get into that a little bit. Two-factor authentication or 2FA, you've probably seen this uh, online. It's it's quite a, uh, a buzzword recently. And there's a good reason for that. It's a very simple way to add an incredible uh, exponential addition of security layer to uh, your systems. Now, typically, two-factor authentication or any multi-factor authentication uh, rely on one of three categories. Something you own, like an ATM card. Uh, the two-factor authentication there you go to the ATM is uh, one part you have to have the card, the two-part, you have to have the PIN code. So two-factor authentication. Oftentimes, uh, banks, uh, corporate banks will go ahead and have a little uh, a number generator. You try and log in, it'll ping you a one-time use code. You have to put that in. Uh, the other next category here, something you know like a pin, cone or a pin code or a uh, pattern code. Great way to go ahead and add a, a, an additional layer of security. And the third one, which is more commonly seen, especially on mobile device, is something that you are, like your, your uh, eye scan, fingerprint scan, facial recognition. So that in conjunction with some login credentials is a great way to go ahead and, and, and make this vastly more secure than the system maybe was previously. Now, uh, two-factor authentication in action. Um, a lot of the email providers out there um, have this as part of their inherent infrastructure. It just comes default disabled, and it's very simple to re-enable. I wanted to go through an example here of uh, Gmail. So I use Gmail and I've, uh, I've turned on two-factor authentication. And it was very easy to do. I did a quick Google search. I said, how do I turn on two-factor authentication for my Gmail? And it took me a whopping five minutes to go ahead and facilitate. Now, what it actually does is, when I log in or try to log in to my email address, at william.simpson.identialike.com, I try to log into my email address on a device that maybe isn't recognized. Maybe I'm on a new computer, maybe I'm at a friend's house, maybe I'm on a new mobile device, whatever the case. I try and log in, and before it lets me, even though I put in my password correct, when, I've, uh, when it tries to log in, it stops me on this screen we see on the left, the two-step verification it sent a message to my mobile phone, which is located on the right hand side. This is a screenshot actually from my device. It says, are you trying to sign in? I get this notification immediately. The second I hit enter on the computer, my phone buzzed and it said, hey, are you trying to sign in? And then I have the option here to see, okay, what kind of device is signing in? Where is it? Is it it in China? Is it in Nigeria? Okay, yeah, that's definitely not me. And I have the ability, no matter where I'm at, to go ahead and know who's accessing, where they're accessing, and boot them out if I need. So it's a very simple way to go ahead and feel secure that that's happening. I wanted to share an example of um, uh, where this comes in place. In a previous company I worked with, there was a a piece of malware that uh, made its way into our our system uh, due to one of our other employees at the time Clicking on a on a link that they shouldn't have clicked on. It was an email came in, very well engineered, clicked on the link and ended up getting malware in their system. Now the problem with the these malware and viruses is oftentimes they have very quiet but deep roots. They'll lay in wait on your system for months and you'll think, well. Maybe that wasn't a virus, maybe it was fine that I clicked that link, but it's just waiting. It's getting its roots deeper in the system, spreading to other computers via links using your account, and once you realize that this has occurred, there's a sort of paranoia that comes along with it, where you didn't know you were infected before. Now that you've got rid of the infection, you don't even know if you're, you're clean now. So enabling something like two-factor authentication really helps with the, not only the security aspect, but also the paranoia aspect, to be honest. Now, next, I want to go into antivirus and anti-malware. Now, a lot of computers uh, come set up with like Windows Defender or uh, some some sort of uh, antivirus and malware. It is imperative that you have these set up on every machine. Do this from the moment you get it. Before you set a new fancy backdrop of a nice family picture or a cool photo you took on vacation, get the antivirus and anti-malware locked in. Now, there's a lot of different ways to facilitate this. There are some freeware, there's some paidware. My recommendation on finding the right one for you Google is your friend. Uh, antivirus, uh, user reviews is a great way to go ahead and find it. You don't want to get paid advertisements telling you which one is good. These are, these are biased studies. You want to do your own research based on user reviews. There's a tech support. People love giving their opinions online, which is very helpful. So you leverage those reviews to find out what makes sense for your business. It's as different as a sliding scale between a high level of security and a high level of convenience, and it'll help you dial in where that fits for you. So when you're implementing these uh, antivirus and anti-malware, it's important that it's pervasive throughout your organization, as with any security measure, whether that's hard drive encryption, email encryption, uh, antivirus, anti-malware, it needs to be pervasive, and that's important from a HIPAA compliance perspective as well as a cybersecurity perspective. You want to make sure you set up automation set programs to run the automatic uh, scans that includes boot scans If you're not familiar boot scan is something that happens when you turn off your computer and you turn it on uh, Most of us just want it to load real quick a boot scan can take a very long time But it can really scrub the insides of your computer to make sure that it's clean So set those up maybe to happen over the weekend when you're not utilizing the computer and then last, but certainly not least, updates. There are new viruses, new malware being created every minute around the world, and they're getting very clever. The antivirus and anti-malware softwares, they they uh, send out updates pretty regularly. You can get multiple updates in a day. And while oftentimes, I know I've been guilty of this in the past before I was aware, you think, oh, I don't really want to restart my computer right now for those updates, or I'm just going to hit later. Only problem is it takes a moment to receive A malware and it only takes a moment to update your system to to immunize you against it so best to set that on automatic and uh, put in some administrative controls to make sure your employees can't just bypass it okay these systems are designed very well but if they're antiquated there's no way they can keep up Uh, next is hard drive encryption now, many professionals have uh, been guilty of having a device lost or stolen. Uh, you know, we have so many portable devices. We have thumb drives. We're moving data from from between work. While we're on the go, we want to look at some files at home. Uh, I know I have a lot of information on a lot of different external uh, drives here. The importance is if you have Um, those, uh, those devices containing any sensitive information, any PHI, you need to go ahead and encrypt that, not only from a HIPAA compliance standpoint, but also just general cybersecurity understanding. Um, There's a a good example here I wanted to highlight. The Charles River Medical Associates had a portable hard drive go missing early 2018. And uh, it had some PHI, it had x-ray images, patient names, ID, birth dates, all sorts of personal information. And it exposed almost uh, 9,500 individuals just from one lost device. So it's uh, due to that they had to go ahead and report that breach to the OCR and notify all their patients of the breach, and they're still underway for all the fining. Finding from a breach, just so, so you know, it can linger for anywhere from six months to a year before it finally lands. They do a full investigation, in-depth audit. It's a very uncomfortable process, and you lose a lot of patience and credibility over it. So, when utilizing these different devices, make sure you lock them down. There's very simple, inexpensive uh, solutions out there to do that, okay? Um, so the High Tech Act of 2009, you may or may not know about this, but it modified the HIPAA breach notification rule. And this is an important thing to know. What it stipulates is if a device is lost or stolen, the loss does not have to be reported if you can prove that the information on that device was rendered unreadable either by secure destruction or encryption. Uh, so the encryption part, we probably understand, but secure destruction uh, means uh, a lot of programs can use geofencing. And if it goes, geofencing is basically, if it goes outside of uh, these coordinates, like a five-mile radius from this address, it goes ahead and wipes and overwrites the data. Um, so I would that may be re- uh, uh, utilized for high-level individuals that have some very sensitive information, but a more cost-effective, easy implementation is simply just to encrypt these devices, okay? Uh, disk encryption for laptops and desktops is super easy to put into use. In fact, with the majority of new hardware, as the past about a year and a half, um, it usually comes incorporated as part of the operating system. So, like Windows, it has the ability to turn off hard drive encryption. Oh, sorry, turn on hard drive encryption. Now. Sometimes it does require that you update some of your subscriptions. I know that with if you have Windows Home Edition, you'll need to upgrade to Windows Professional to be able to incorporate things such as BitLocker. Okay? So it, while that may seem like a $30 or $40 investment that you don't want to do, the, uh, the the results of that are very effective. It's, uh, it doesn't really put up any hurdles in front of you and your data, but it does protect it in the event that someone walks off with your laptop. Or if you're in a rush and you'll leave it at the uh, at coffee shop that you're visiting, it happens. Next, I wanna talk about the Wi-Fi considerations. Now, if this segment is gonna get a little bit techy, but don't worry, um, um, this uh, the information we have here, as Catherine mentioned, uh, you do have the ability to get a PDF. So if you don't understand some of the aspects I'm speaking to on the tech aspects, Don't worry, write down the acronyms, bring it to your IT guy and say, hey, we need to make sure we get these going, okay? So I wanted to touch on Wi-Fi because it's such a point of vulnerability and it's something that people usually completely forget to consider. Um, So any type of Wi-Fi equipment that you get is typically not secure right out of the box. Um, So make sure you change the default passwords. And this brings up a a topic I want to back up for a moment to talk about, the Internet of Things. So it's not just literally your Wi-Fi and your router at your office that we're talking about here. It's anything that connects to your Wi-Fi. That could be the Nest thermostat on the wall. That could be the fancy new fridge in the break room that has a little touch screen that you can check your Facebook on or see your stocks. That also consists of the Fitbit on your wrist that connects to your Wi-Fi automatically and updates the fact that you're at 3,000 steps so far today. Good job. Only problem with those things is that they create a tunnel to get directly into your system. Um, so while it may be very difficult to me to break into your Wi-Fi if you've set up the passwords correctly and using WPA2 codes, Wi-Fi protected access to codes I mean, um, anything connected to that is on the good list. Think about this. Um, you're trying to get into the club and uh, there's a bouncer up front, surly looking guy with a clipboard. Um, you're gonna have a tough time getting in there. You're gonna have to wait in line, show your credentials, but if your name is on the list, you walk right on through. Consider the, uh, the weak point here, your Fitbit is a person with the name on their list, and the malware is a person standing right behind them saying, oh, I'm with that guy. And they walk right in, okay? This is oftentimes how people get into systems. Consider that, I believe it was a Home Depot breach a while back, or maybe the target, I think it was Home Depot. Their, uh, their data breach occurred due to uh, people getting into their uh, air conditioning unit similar to the Nest thermostat where it's all on the Wi-Fi. You can control it from your phone, which is really cool. Um, they didn't change the default password. So the cyber criminals sat out front in the parking lot, Googled what are the most common passwords for this type of system, and they walked right in. And I had access to all the previous people's payment information okay so it's very easy to, um, to facilitate um so what i would recommend some basic uh, um uh, hygiene for your wi-fi hide your network so when you know when you go to a new building and you're like hey what's your wi-fi um you can see a list of all the wi-fi networks there's an easy way in the administrative controls to hide your, your practice's Wi-Fi name. Now, obviously, you want to connect your computers to it. You can do that manually and then hide it. But if it's hidden, it's a lot harder for people to try and locate it, to try and break into it. Now, if you have guests that show up, what you can do is you can create a parallel network for them to uh, access. You don't need any new hardware. This is all part of the administrative controls. You can set up a guest network, and that can have different security credentials. You can limit what information it has access to. So basically, it's a quarantined access to the internet. So it's a very secure way that doesn't set up any impediments to your day-to-day workings, but it does add a much-needed layer of security. now, when it comes to uh, uh, malware, ransomware, um, remember in the beginning we were talking about the majority of, uh, I believe it was 77% of the uh, malware and uh, uh, social engineering that's going on are fileless occurrences. Fileless meaning you don't have to click on a link or you don't have to open an attachment. And it's because they're using social engineering. Social engineering is a deception to manipulate people to divulge information that they wouldn't particularly give out if you just ask them regularly. Um, The reason why this is so popular is a couple of reasons here. It costs nothing to facilitate. I don't need to have a fancy piece of equipment. I need to have a telephone or an email address. And I have a very low likelihood of having legal repercussions. I can commit this felony while I'm in the Bahamas. I could be on, I could be halfway around the world, or I could be using a proxy server that makes it look like I'm halfway around the world. It's very hard to prosecute on these. I'm able to cast a very wide net and lucrative net because it costs me nothing to hit one person as opposed to 500,000 people. And uh, the social conditioning, the way we interact with one another, makes it uh, very conducive to making this occur. People are typically people pleasers and will like to follow instructions. So if it looks right, feels right, they'll do it and it doesn't require high-tech capabilities or understanding. So you don't need to be a tech guru to go ahead and facilitate. While it may sound like I'm making a strong case for a career change opportunity here, I'm not. I just want to give you a little bit of background on uh, why this is occurring. Now, there are some some pretty common types that you want to be aware of. And this this section right here, if nothing else makes it to your general pool of employees, please make sure that this this uh, is part of your security training, the fake president or CEO fraud. This one happens a lot. You may have seen it yourself. Um, the ways to combat that is always make sure you're speaking to the individual who, who supposedly sent the message. You may get an email saying, hey, uh, go ahead and make sure we transfer $8,000 here. Give them a call walk over to their desk just make sure it's very easy for people to go ahead and fake this Um, and uh, make sure you have checks and balances with your bank account and approved list of who has access to go ahead and make transfers another method is over the telephone so they want to do fund transfers so make sure you avoid giving information or accepting information via the phone some people may call you and say hey uh, we're a client we're trying to wire some uh, some information over to you can you give me the uh, the account number that I need to be sending this to It sounds like a reasonable request. Sounds like, yep, we like collecting on bills, but you've accidentally just given up an account number you shouldn't have. Um, And make sure you get things in writing. Make sure it's from a known entity, that it has the right branding on it, right email address, those usual suspects. Okay, It's always a good idea to have the same sort of logic as a two-factor authentication, Um, whether that's leveraging a phone call or text in parallel with email. Whatever the case may be, there's a couple different ways to facilitate it. Um, email scams and requests to change bank account details. These ones are fascinating. I've seen a lot of these come through and they're very well done. I'll receive an email and it looks like it's coming from, let's say, Bank of America. I have an account with Bank of America. So I see an email come through and it's account at bankofamerica.com. So it looks legit and it says, Will, we need to uh, make sure you do your regular password change. We need to go ahead and verify your account and your, your password here and go ahead and change that. Click on this link to facilitate it you click on the link and it directs you to a website that looks just like the web portal I'm used to logging into I log in with my credentials and it doesn't really go anywhere or it goes to a splash screen it doesn't really make any sense I've just accidentally given up my credentials they they mimic the look and feel of a lot of websites and they'll even take the letterhead and make it look very organic no reputable organization ever asks you to confirm your username and credentials in an email or, uh, or uh, over the phone, typically. Uh, they may do partial aspects of it, but never the full credentials, OK? Anyone that's asking to verify full credentials over those systems is likely trying to scam you. And your best bet is to communicate them another way. Um, then this is important, especially in the medical space. I know we're working with a lot of different vendors for the different uh, materials we use uh, to support our, our patients. Make sure you keep an approved list of supplies and vendors who you're speaking to their contact information so that you can verify things um, giving up information can seem uh, innocuous but uh, if you're giving this uh, sensitive information on different shipments and materials and account numbers to third-party entities that can come back and bite you um so it's again good good to have a specific workflow outline so that if they're, they're someone's calling in and asking for information if that's not your department Pass it to someone who is well versed on what they can and cannot say, and uh, is is dedicated to that. Now, ransomware, ransomware is, is a is a big issue that we've been dealing with in the, over the past few years. Um, if you're not familiar, ransomware is uh, uh, using encryption against you. Typically what it does is it'll be received in the form of a link or an attachment that you open and uh, then it goes ahead and locks up all of your files and they will go ahead and contact you and say, Will, if you want your files back, we're going to need you to go ahead and give us $50,000. Only issue with that is even if I pay that fine, there's no guarantees that one, I'm going to see that information back or two, they haven't just kept a copy of it anyway. So it's important to uh, uh, be aware that this is a this is a kind of a slippery, slippery subject here of ransomware. It's uh, uh, the and the, the losses are not just financial, but they're also going into the HIPAA compliance aspect of well as well. Um, Now, it's uh, some interesting stats here regarding uh, ransomware. You may have heard the brand name WannaCry, this was a big one last year, Um, and it it really outlines malware spreads like wildfire, it's the way these are designed. Once malware gets onto your system, it'll typically go after different communication points, like maybe you're automatically logged into your Facebook, maybe you automatically remember the password for your email accounts on your computer systems are designed to recognize this so if i get malware on my computer one of the first stops they make is they try and log into anything else that it's associated to and send out a message to everyone that you know saying hey this click this link i need you to check this out real quick and then it's and then you can see easily it transfers from person to person to person Um, so ransomware uh, 43%, sorry, 45.3% of all ransomware um, was WannaCry last year. And server which was another flavor, kind of for 44.2%, that's almost 100% of the ransomware that occurred last year was just two different pieces of code that was created. This is not a, a diverse industry, but it shows you how they spread. That's an incredible thing. This is worldwide, mind you. Um, so, the, the estimated total global losses for that uh, last year were in the ballpark of 4 million and this is still going on. That's uh, that's just uh, um, the uh, payments that were made out, not necessarily just the infrastructure uh, issues there. So, very important to be aware of. Um, so there are a couple best business practices to be aware of to combat this. First and foremost, always implement awareness and training programs. Um, the, the targets of this are your staff and employees. Typically, they don't uh, go after the high-level people or the tech people. They'll go after the people that maybe don't have the, the most technical training, maybe someone who's working at the front desk, maybe someone who's working more with patients and with technology. So they want to go after the easy, the easy low-hanging fruit. So make sure you enable strong spam filters. Spam filters are great at preventing phishing emails from reaching employees. Um, and now here's where it gets a little bit techy. <laughs> uh, it's important that it, uh, if you have your own hosted exchange, whether it's online or on-prem, make sure you're leveraging a few different technologies, like SPF, Sended Policy Framework, and Domain Message Authentication Reporting and Conformance, DMARC, and Domain Key Identification Mail, DKIM. These three acronyms, I know they sound uh, uh, just crazy tech, but in conjunction with one another, they are very effective at protecting your system. They make it such that a lot of the malicious emails with links and attachments never even make it to your employee's visibility, meaning they can't then click the link, infect the system, and spread to the rest of practice, okay? then make sure you're configuring firewalls to block access to known malicious IP addresses. It's important for your technical people, whoever's managing your Wi-Fi router, your backend systems here, a lot of people leverage third-party IT, make sure that they're doing regular audits of who's trying to access this. Oftentimes they can see in the logs, the, uh, the history on these devices, they can see IP addresses of people trying to access your website front, for instance, or uh, a specific system that you utilize there'll be local IP addresses like I'm in Irvine, which is Orange County, California. So if I see IP addresses trying to connect from you know, local states, Maybe, maybe nationwide, that seems fine. But if I suddenly start getting a, a lot from, from uh, entities I'm not used to doing business with, maybe I'm, maybe I'm local only and suddenly I'm getting a lot of uh, IP addresses from somewhere in Africa trying to get into my network. I don't do business in Africa right now. I don't have any patients in Africa. Um, that doesn't make a lot of sense. That's most likely someone probing for a weakness in your system. What you can do with your firewall is you can set up to block malicious IP addresses. When you see those ones that just don't feel right, block them. That means they can't probe any further into your system. And just like with antivirus, make sure you patch or update your operating systems, all of your software, all of your firmware. Everything needs to be updated all the time. The majority of these updates are not so much feature updates like a fancy new button or capability. The vast majority of updates that are occurring are um, for security updates. So a lot of people that set up their infrastructure well have uh, centralized patch management systems, meaning that uh, maybe I have 20 employees, they're all on a similar sort of setup, and I have a one tech guy and he has administrative access to make sure that everyone's pushed out the update. So my employees don't have to say, yes, go ahead and install the Windows updates, or yes, go ahead and update my virus definitions. My IT guy can actually push that out and say, all right, everyone's gone home for the day, I'd 5.50 in the evening, we're going to make sure everyone gets a new Windows update. When they come in in the morning, it's already done. No one, no one is bugged by it. Um, and then making, as we mentioned earlier, making sure you set your antivirus and anti-malware to conduct regular scans, including boot scans. Hugely important to get those boot scans. Um, Now, this next one, this is actually in close alignment with HIPAA requirements, the managing and use of privileged accounts based on the least access privilege. Um, So what HIPAA requires is the uh, um, limit and access of sharing information to only the necessary parties to facilitate their job. Same thing with your IT setup. Not everyone needs access to be able to download new programs on the computer. Not everyone needs access to be able to change the the, the websites that they can go to and not go to. that access okay so that only people that are very technically savvy can go ahead and set that threshold uh, make sure you're setting uh, software restriction policies this may sound complex but it's actually very simple logic a lot of the viruses and malware that uh, quickly want to spread to the rest of the system in your in your network they launch the files from very common file locations like app data or local app data While there's a million different variations on what types of files and organization systems people use from computer to computer, there are a few core inherent files to any system. That's the files that they usually look at. So you can prevent uh, programs from launching new software from those known files. Um, And then a lot of people use a remote desktop protocol, meaning my IT person is a third party IT, so he has the ability to remote into my computer at any time. That's great, but unless you have someone actively monitoring that, it is a point of vulnerability for someone else to remote into your system. So all these things that I'm talking about here, don't get overwhelmed by the technical aspect of them. These are all very easy things to Google and either work on yourself or bring up to your IT person. And last but not least, use application whitelisting, which uh, is a great way to lock things down, especially in large organizations. They do this. There's maybe 15 programs that everyone uses to do their job. Those are on the whitelist. Nothing else is. So there's a very lockdown system so that anything else that tries to launch, doesn't matter what it is, it'll say, nope, not on the list. So it's a very blanket policy to go ahead and prevent things from from booting up and taking their own actions with a mind of their own. Um, so I want to take a look at email address spoofing, what we talked about earlier. This is an example. So the message on the left here, uh, looks like I got a message from my boss, Steve Jones, and it looked like it was Steve Jones at identilite.com, which would be normal. Maybe Steve Jones is my boss, and he's asking me to do a wire transfer of $8,000. So I say, okay, well, boss says what boss says. I go ahead and hit reply to that message, and typically, on the right-hand side here, it's a, it's a reply. I'd go ahead and send the information. But take a look at this. When you actually hit reply, look at the email address it's actually going to. This is the one it said it was going to, Steve Jones at Identalite.com. But when I hit reply, its actual email address was Steve Jones1 at AOL.com. This is spoofing. This, this Steve Jones1 at AOL spoofed his email to look like the correct um, uh, nomenclature for my organization. So this is how easy it is. Uh, something like this easily falls onto your radar. You want to make sure you're adhering to what the boss is wanting. So you go ahead and send off that wire transfer and then he says, Will, where's that $8,000? Uh, and uh, that's how it happens. So it's very easy. So a good way is just to make sure when you're responding, make sure the email address is what it says it is because it's very easy to do. So the way to prevent this is a little bit more on the tech side, but again, bring this to your IT person. These are the three things I mentioned earlier that you want to implement on a server level. The sender policy framework, uh, DMARC, domain message authentication reporting and conformance, and domain key identification mail, DKIM. Basically, these are all um, checks and balances and logic workflows saying, for instance, message comes in. Is what they say their email address is what it actually is. The previous screen where these email addresses were different, I'd have to catch that manually unless I have these systems in place. This will say, ah, Will, that's Steve Jones. Uh, It's not actually the Steve Jones you think it is. We'll go ahead and put that directly in the trash. So these programs are designed, these, these configuration controls are designed to go ahead and handle that for you so that your general population of employees do not have to deal with this. There's just too much room for error otherwise. So some of these are just calibrations you can do on your server. Some are third party software. Again, Google is your friend and leverage your IT person for assistance in implementing. Now, it's very important to have a cybersecurity plan and incident response plan. Um, This actually aligns very closely with HIPAA requirements in the audits they're doing. You want to make sure you have this documented on the HIPAA compliance side, but also just general cybersecurity. Make sure that your employees understand the security policies and procedures. Have it written. Have it signed that they know and understand the workflow make sure you schedule semi-annual or quarterly training on new threats that are happening as we mentioned new threats are being created daily so it's important to stay up to date an example of a good presentation for that would be to show this show them this recording of this presentation so they're aware of this make sure that they understand the importance of getting those updates and not hitting, now nah, we're going to go ahead and delay that till later okay and then in the event of a data breach make sure you have a clear line of communication. Document everything. Document who did it, when did they do it, why did they do it, what happened next, and have someone who's the point of contact to handle this in the event that that does occur. Um, so a good way to get a cybersecurity plan or incident response plan, you can actually locate online. Um, the things you want in there is, as we mentioned, who to contact, uh, where the data is backed up and stored, um, and when to contact law enforcement in the event of a data breach. Now, this cool tool I found online that's free on the FCC.gov uh, website, and it's a, a way to go ahead and create your own custom planning guide. So this may seem like an overwhelming concept just to come up with one, but just follow the guide. It's sort of like an install with it it just walks you right through it okay and I would actually make sure you have a copy of that in your HIPAA audit folder too because this is part of what they're going to take a look at all right thank you so much if there's any questions at this time I'd like to go ahead and address them
0: thank you so much thank you we did have actually a few questions that came in so uh, the first question that came in was um, For backing up our patient records, do you advise using local external hard drives or should we use uh, cloud storage?
1: Great question. Um, You know, a a lot of people are actually curious between the two. And ultimately, what it comes down to is um, either either way works. However, the one thing you want to make sure is, is it HIPAA compliant? Um, There's advantages to having things up in the cloud, like backing automatically up to the cloud. There's no moving pieces on your side. It happens automatically and it's accessible from anywhere in the world. You don't have to carry a piece of hardware around with you. Plus it's difficult to steal because it's not a physical location. However, um, you need to make sure that the vendor that you're utilizing for backup Um, storage there is HIPAA compliant and they'll be very forthcoming about that Um, and make sure you get a business associate agreement with them. Underline that one. Um, In regards to physical external hard drives, those are also a good way to go. Just make sure, as we mentioned earlier, hard drive encryption. Make sure that's encrypted because when you have a physical piece of hardware, how often in times have you left your USB drive at a friend's house? You plugged it in to print something and you left it in there. at the FedEx Kinko's printing out that new uh, um, expense sheet, Uh, you left it in there. So make sure you're using encryption on that if it's local. So I would not advise one over the other. What I would advise is make sure you've met the HIPAA compliance requirements accordingly.
0: Okay, great. Uh, And then we had a second question here. So In regards to password security, is using a single sign-on service to access our programs a secure approach?
1: good question um, on the single sign-on so single sign-ons is essentially sort of like a password manager um, so let's say I have seven programs that I typically use to do my job I have my electric retro, electronic management record eh, electronic record management system I have my email I have maybe an accounting program billing program whatever the case may be single sign-on is such that it will house those unique login credentials, but all I have to do to log into all of those is know my one credential to get in there. Um, so that sounds kind of scary to a lot of people. However, single sign on programs are designed to typically have multi-factor authentication, like we mentioned, like a fingerprint scan, scan, plus passcode, and they have the ability to incorporate a lot more uh, security measures that may not be inherent to each individual program. Meaning let's take geofencing, for example. Uh, my geofencing is set up on my single sign uh, um, service so that even though one password gets me into all these programs if I'm not within a five mile pre-established radius of my office it says no way it doesn't matter that you know the password you're not allowed to get in or if you have turnover in a company single sign on allows me to dis- uh, disconnect all of those systems all in one fell swoop so there's a lot of benefits to single sign on security wise you just want to make sure you set it up and calibrate it accordingly and again business associate agreement, if you're using the third party vendor.
0: Good, I'm glad you're um, highlighting the um, the business associate agreement also, of course. Um, it's super, so, so, so important. Um, Absolutely. Great. Okay, and then we had another question. Um, do, do the OCR HIPAA compliance audits require documentation of the security topics you covered today?
1: Absolutely. Now not, maybe not in as extensive detail as I have gone into, but let's let's back up for a minute and look at what the OCR orders are looking at. There's three main categories, physical, technical, and administrative. Um, administrative is a lot of the documentation. So the the way your Wi-Fi routers are set up, the trainings that you're doing on, on different cybersecurity threats, that's the administrative safeguards they want to see. So yes, absolutely documented. When did you train? What did you train on? Provide a copy of the PDF presentation. Um, the physical safeguards doesn't really apply to what we talked about here. That's do you have locks on your file cabinets, locks on the front door, things of that nature. Um, but the technical ones, absolutely. So um, you know what what security systems are you using? Do you have encryption on your hard drives? Good. Document what it is. Are you using single sign-on for any of your uh, uh, your, your systems? Absolutely document it. What are the different thresholds that it's looking at? So, uh, these systems, I would advise that your cybersecurity plan, that last slide we looked at, I would advise that a lot of that goes on the technical aspect of the OCR audits. So, I would say yes. The, the overwhelming answer is it's never bad to have more documentation. Auditors love paperwork, <laughs> one of the few professions that actually do. So, the more documentation you have, put the work on them to do it.
0: Great, great. So, I think that was, um, those are all the questions that uh, came in. Of course, uh, attendees, if you have other questions, you can certainly send those in. Uh, You have the contact information there for for Will. Um, You can also send those in to us as well at um, First HCC. Um, I wanted to remind our attendees that this is part one of two, right? Will, um, did you have anything else to say about that?
1: Uh, part two is, uh, yeah, looking forward to that one as well. That's going to get a little bit more into mobile device security, social media security, and a few other aspects. So there may be not a lot of overlap between the two, but, uh, but definitely the second half of this one.
0: Okay, great. Okay, so we're all looking forward to that. So um, again, please use the contact information on the screen for any questions, or you can send them to us, we'll forward them on. Uh, you can also register for any future webinars. Um, or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com. You can also call us at 888 543 4778. And thank you so much, Will. Thank you for your um, brilliant knowledge here. We appreciate you um, um, imparting that upon us here.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and looking forward to chatting with everyone again next time.
0: Okay, great. And thank you attendees and thank you for joining us.